Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter, who's uh, San Diego State Aztecs came oh so close. When they cut it to five with six minutes left, I was like, oh, my gosh. But UConn um, prevailed, and uh, what a what a, what a stunning tournament for UConn. Um, kudos to them. Sorry for Kyle, but he was in rare territory with a San Diego State team and uh, <laughs> can be very proud. Right, Kyle? Oh, absolutely. San Diego State had never made it past the Sweet 16, uh, it's the second time since 1961 the city of San Diego has had a championship clinching game. It was that yeah. in the 1994 Super Bowl against the Niners. And I'm just glad that we were there. I know we lost and never really had a chance, but I'm just I'm just happy we were there. Right. <laughs> That's right. So um, now we're we've suddenly been. Um, made aware of Terry McDonough. The ghost of Terry McDonough came out of a janitor's closet where he's been locked for three years to now file an arbitration suit um, or grievance with the NFL regarding Michael Bidwell's um, cheating, abusive behavior to employees, etc. Um, you know, and this comes out at a time when, when uh, at a very sensitive time, when Cardinals are already being, you know, there's a grievance filed by Steve Wilkes, and the, you know, and there are things that that McDonough has has um, indicated that involved Wilkes, where McDonough and Wilkes were commanded by Bidwell to use burner phones to communicate with then exiled for five weeks on a DUI suspension, general manager, Steve Kime. I mean, all of this is, I mean, it's, it's be almost impossible to leave. This is fiction. Um, you know, that, that McDonough is, is, is putting forth. Now some are arguing, well, we hadn't heard that directly from Wilkes. But um, actually, in Wilkes's, what we have heard from Wilkes is Wilkes did complain about um, the, the the tenuous situation with Steve Kime during his ten, tenure, uh, one year tenure, and the difficulty of the preseason, um, not having Kime there, and sort of, and he's also mentioned that there were. Um, some complications regarding regarding that, which now we have a more specific idea of what those complications were. And, um, you know, it, it goes back to Bidwell's, uh, you know, this five-week suspension was imposed by Bidwell himself um, in an effort to placate the NFL um, and to hold on to Steve Kime. Um, and now in retrospect, it looks as if like Bidwell didn't, you know, took charge of that suspension himself so that he could manipulate it um, in such a way 
that uh, that with a new head coach, who by the way was not endorsed by Steve Kime. It was Bidwell's choice. Kime wanted James Betcher, who was BA's. Um, Kime was firmly in the BA camp all along. Um, we'll talk about the BA situation a little later on. I think there's a curious, there could be a curious outcome there as well, and a clarity of what happened to BA and in AZ. So, but, uh, but yeah, you had that scenario where, you know, Bidwell wanted a clean break from BA and it was Bidwell's hire. Steve Wilkes was and um, against the wishes of Steve Kime. And so now, and then you had the, the subsequent DUI, the, you know, extreme DUI. And, um, you know, at the time we were wondering why, um, Steve, uh, Steve Kime was being retained. I mean, it was, was second DUI. Um, it also was symbolic in a way of the BA hangover that win or lose, we booze mantra, um, the, the kind of state of, of the organization, um, was in such disrepair, um, when, um, BA left and Steve Kime, you know, sort of put himself in a situation where it would have been very um, understanding um, and other, other organizations have done this with employees who have, um, you know, uh, been arrested for various counts, especially for um, extreme DUI. But, you know, Bidwell decided that he, you know, by hook or by crook, he was going to hang on to Steve Kime and give Steve Kime an extra chance and in this interim, now it appears that Bidwell had a plan as to how to suspend Kime, but at the same time keep him in the loop, which violates the spirit um, and the intention of a suspension. So, and you could just imagine Steve Wilkes being a first-year head coach, being commanded by Bidwell and Kime to be a magical worker of. Um, developing players with quote unquote different personalities and um, which was he echoed uh, Wilkes did in his introductory presser as being one of his you know one of the top priorities in his job in his first season and at that time we know who those different personalities were but those allegations in in themselves are very troubling and it also the cover-up that Bidwell tried to do once um, another executive became privy to what was going on, where Bidwell, um, you know, snatched the phones and tried to, you know, stop the whole burner phone thing. Although um, McDonough has the smoking gun because he kept his burner phone as evidence. Good for him. Um, and uh, also, you know, there's this the scenario where uh, McDonough alleges that when he came in to complain about, you know, the illegality of this, you know, um, tactic by Bidwell, he was uh, written up for insubordination and chastised um, by Michael Bidwell. Um, what a volatile scenario that you know, situation and atmosphere that must have been. Um, and of course, 
you know, uh, Steve Kime would have been privy to a lot of this, um, either via contact with Bidwell or um, with with people within the organization, which he wasn't supposed to be um, conducting during that interim. Um, some fans are saying, well, <laughs> the cheating didn't work, so why should it matter? Because um, the season was awful. Well, it matters because it's a breach of decorum. It matters because it's an egregious um, manipulation on Bidwell's part. Um, it puts, you know, it's reminiscent of, in certain ways, of Flores, Brian, Brian Flores being manipulated by uh, Stephen Ross to, to tank games. Not that there's mention of that necessarily from Wilkes's part, but I mean, look at the hand that Wilkes was dealt. I mean, his his um, GM was out of the building um, for five weeks during training camp. It also, you know, people would say, well, you know, um, why would Bidwell want to, you know, create this burner phone situation? Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because yesterday I was asked on Twitter, you know, like something to the effect of first I was asked, do you think that McDonough is speaking facts? I really believe he is because first of all, I know the McDonough family, not personally, but growing up and being in the Boston area for much of my adult life, uh, you know, the McDonough's are highly respected family in the Boston area. Of course, um, Terry's dad, was, Will, was a, uh, um, a um, journalistic icon in, um, in Boston. The McDon McDonald's are very passionate. You know, I know there's been kick, some kickback from Bidwell saying how, uh, you know, Terry McDonough was kind of irascible at times with, 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 uh, with employees in the building. Uh, you know, irascibility can be confused at times for um, someone being passionately opinionated, which the McDonough's are. Um, and, you know, for Terry McDonough to, to take this step is a huge leap. And I don't believe he would have ever done it, risked anything to diminish the McDonough legacy um, or draw shame to that legacy um, by making a, you know, creating a, a fictional narrative here. So I, yes, I think McDonough is, is speaking facts from his, his point of view is what he was asked, asked to do. And, you know, I mean, there also was the question of, um, you know, so, K2 asked me on Twitter, just thinking out loud here, Bidwell was a former prosecutor. So how and why did Bidwell think it was a good idea to break rules and use a burner phone? <laughs> well, I, I tweeted back uh, that, you know, on my red, here's what I wrote back, back to him. I said, on my Red Rain podcast for years now, I've been describing Bidwell running the Cardinals organization like some sort of a spy on covert ops. He thinks he can fool anyone. The flight, pan, flight plan videos are an attempt to make people think he's a super nice guy. 
but he's about as two-faced as they come. And I'm going to elaborate on a number of scenarios where Bidwell has been two-faced. Um, there are just so many of them. It's, he just double-crosses himself and others with, you know, for example, the Kyler Murray situation. I mean, why the poison pill in the contract? I mean, compromise that whole thing and turn it into a farce. Um, you know, I mean, that's, you can't have it both ways, you know? Like the quid pro quos he tries to, to like offering the GM job to Ian Cunningham, but asking him, lowballing him and asking him to, come in under certain conditions, you know, which was, which was the, the rumblings as to why Cunningham turned the job down. You know, it's, it's like with Bidwell, there's always a condition. There's always a, you know, a quid pro quo. Like I'll hire you and here's what you do for me. Um, and he kind of preys on people's vulnerabilities and he uses people as props. Like, you know, Vance Joseph, he uses a prop. Like uh, Adrian Wilson, who, who can blame Wilson now for bolting the building? Uh, like Quentin Harris, you know, the way he handled Kyler Murray. I mean, it's just a long line of, of fractured relationships that have been created by this dysfunctional way in which Bidwell, you know, is the first to kind of try to, puff people up but then quickly tries to take them down a notch and as evidenced by you know i was saying on a previous podcast that you know i the way bidwell is behaving has been behaving for the last few years i was thinking they there should be some sort of an intervention because it's just beyond the pale what he's done is beyond the pale of any kind of reasonable, um, calculated decision-making. I mean, the, the contract extensions, the precipitous sudden contract extensions of Steve Kime and, and Cliff Kingsbury, for example. I mean, bizarre. I mean, in the light of, you know, I mean, Kyle Odegaard po pointed this out at the end of the season um, in, in 2021, uh, you know, Bidwell called a, a, a meeting for, um, you know, Kime and Kingsbury in which he was, you know, apparently extremely upset and ticked off and, and, he, and was yelling at them and, you know, and, and so, we go from that, and of course, there were reasons to be pissed off at the end of that season, and we can just imagine some of the things Bidwell was upset at. So I get that to a degree, but then, like a month later, giving them five-year contract extensions. I mean, so then also, like during the Kyler Murray um, drama of the the scrubbings and then the manifesto from the agent and this and that, you know, Kime, uh, you know, Bidwell sent out moles to take down Murray. Um, and I think most people 
believe right now that that mole was Steve Kahn. And he told Steve Kime, leak, leak, leak the info that we have concerns about Kyler's work ethic, his leadership, etc. So then you have those concerns. I mean, talk about two-faced. You have those concerns. Yet months later, after all this drama, you sign Kyler to the second richest contract in NFL history. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you can't have it both ways. And it seems like whatever happens to Bidwell, like after he gets pissed, someone's in his ear telling him, yeah, but we really need to do this. And at the end of the day, what what he ends up doing is what he thinks the fans want to hear or what the fans, you know, he tries to placate to the fans. And so that's probably why he thinks it's okay to raise ticket prices because he's been delivering on what the fans have wanted. The fans wanted, vast majority of fans wanted Kyler to get his back. He gave Kyler his back. The fans then this past season wanted to get Cliff out. He got Cliff out and did it on national TV, um, which is one of the most egregious things I've ever seen and insensitive things I've ever seen. I mean, is that how you treat people? Uh, I mean, and then the irony of that calling Cliff the hardest working coach he's ever worked with. So you're firing the hardest working coach you've ever worked with. And yet you just gave a quarterback who you have concerns about his work ethic. Um, the second biggest, biggest bag in NFL history. It makes, you know, it's this double crossing and two faced aspect. You know, let's take a look too at the two faced aspect of his whole, you know, <clears throat> self-prescribed, you know, um, sensitivity and and sympathy for you know um black athletes many of whom are you know are on the cardinals roster i mean you know now the bidwell name has been associated with diversity i think his dad was was more you know um has a better track record than michael does i mean his dad hired um you know, Rod Graves as GM, as a black GM. And he had also hired um, Denny Green as a black head coach um, who lasted more than one year. I mean, Michael Bidwell, the first decision he made when he took over in 2013, uh, the running, everyday running of the building and the organization was to fire Rod Graves the only GM who'd ever taken a Cardinals team to a Super Bowl. Now, Rod Graves, you know, there were aspects about Rod Graves of just about anyone that, you know, there were pluses and minuses. But, and whether Rod Graves deserved that at that time, I think is, is debatable. I mean, I wasn't sure of it myself. I mean, I the fact that you got a Cardinals team to a Super Bowl would indicate something. And we also don't know how handicapped Graves was by um, Bill Bedwell Sr. I mean, um, that must have been a really uh, tenuous, um, you know, arrangement for Rod Graves, working with an owner who was um, known to be parsimonious um, at best. And um, so, 
you know, but the great fact that Rod Graves had success and Michael always said it was the hardest decision. He, he loved Rod Graves and everything, but look at what's happened since. I mean, the one year with Steve Wilkes was an utter debacle. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, and the scapegoating of Wilkes was the most egregious of it. I mean, Bidwell could have easily just put it on himself and said, it, you know, it was overreaction to losing BA or whatever. Um, and it just struck him as just not being the right fit after one year. It was, you know, and if this is my fault, it's not Coach Gray, excuse me, Coach Wilkes's fault. I mean, coaches deserve, a, typically deserve more than one year to prove their worth. And the curious thing is this year, Steve Wilkes proved his worth as an NFL head coach, albeit an interim coach. But, I mean, anyone who wanted to argue that Wilkes was way over his head and couldn't coach is now having to deal with the reality that um, that Wilkes uh, basically defied that notion this season and proved it to the NFL world. No, it didn't land him the head coaching job. That's a discussion for another occasion. And now he's uh, in the back in the NFC West uh, as DC for the 49ers. We're going to see plenty of him. But, you know, I mean, <clears throat> but look at what's happened since then. I mean, you know, this year. I mean, so, you know, we go from firing a Graves. Uh, Bidwell had a chance to hire a black GM. He tried with Ian Cunningham, but of course it was, it was preying on Cunningham's, you know, um, rookie status and the fact perhaps that he thought that if Cunningham is black, he'd be all the more desperate to take a job, no matter what the conditions were. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, so uh, instead every person that Bidwell hired from there, there on of, you know, the key spots, um, the head coach, the GM, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the special teams coordinator, they're all white. I mean, so, and there were, there were, um, you know, Brian Flores was someone who he thought could be tied to the job. Now we know why, you know, this is another reason why, um, you know, Brian Flores wasn't going to take this job and decline his second interview. It's kind of amazing now to think that he came for a first interview. Um, but, uh, you know, he had no other head coaching interviews to my knowledge. So I think he probably wanted to feel it out. But then, you know, in, in checking it out and seeing what the climate was and then reminding himself of, the, of what he knows about the Cardinals organization, under Bidwell, um, you know, Flores came to the conclusion that no, I'm, I'm not going to go back for a second interview. Wow, you know, wow, wow, wow. So, um, gosh, it's just, you know, for so for Bidwell to claim, oh, you know, and he says so in the uh, in in the rebuttal, the quick. How many page rebuttal is this, Kyle? A it is a, a 20. <laughs> I, I've been calling it a manifesto because, look, it, PR rules 101. If someone's accusing you or someone is detailing with evidence, 
uh, racial discrimination, uh, gender discrimination, <laughs> cheating. Uh, one, right. no comment. Two, if you're not going to no comment, don't release a 21 paragraph manifesto <laughs> with bullet points detailing your legal argument against uh, against Terry McDonough. So it's uh, yeah, they as you were saying, they detail in there the rebuttal of how this is uh, it's vindictive and uh, goes against the values exhibited by the Bidwells. And I think they list a couple of those values. <laughs> well, I found the rhetoric of the rebuttal to be um, especially defensive and 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 an attempt to intimidate. Um, you know, the language of it was so much more severe than the language of of the um, and tone than the language of Terry McDonald's complaint. Well, I think the reason it seems like that is because it is defensive and it is with intention to intimidate Terry McDonough. That is exactly yeah. the purpose of this. Which if you know Terry McDonough, he's not one to be readily intimidated. I mean, I had my first reaction when I heard the news was to tweet out that uh, here was my tweet. For the last few years, I've been asking why Terry McDonough has become a ghost. And those of you on the pod who've been faithful listeners know I've brought this up on several occasions. And I've asked my editor, um, Seth Cox, on numerous occasions, what, what's up with Terry McDonough? And no one seemed to know. Ed Bermilla, um, one of our great ROTB members, said that, you know, finally they let uh, McDonough out of the out of the janitor closet. They locked him in for the last three years. I mean, I hate to laugh at that, but he's been a ghost. I mean, he used to be at practices and sitting with Bidwell during games, suddenly nothing. And, you know, where is he? But I kept every year, every few months, I checked the list of front office, front office executives and his name was always on it. So I was like, but I rarely ever saw him and wondered what was going on. So then I said, everything he claims corroborates the concerns I've been expressing about the dysfunction in the Cardinals organization under MB, BA, and SK. I mean, especially how they treated Steve Wilkes, um, an excoriated, scapegoated. Oh, man. It, it, that was just, I think, one of the lowlights of being a Cardinal fan was watching what they did to Wilkes. Um, and, you know, Someone wrote me back and said, you know, asked me the question of, well, look at, you know, uh, uh, you know, please say how they excoriated Wilkes is from Scott Bailey, CEO uh, on Twitter. These are your words. Wilkes got the team. And as the head coach, the team had the worst offense in the league and second worst in Cardinals history under Wilkes. The defense was 32nd and 10th worst in in team history, properly fired. Okay, Scott, first of all, there's some, um, you have some facts mixed up there. Um, the, the offense was, was uh, 32nd. The defense, I think, was 21st. Um, also, you know, 
I mean, I can you really blame Wilkes for the offense when you know Steve Kime signed Sam Bradford, um, traded up for Josh Rosen, and then hired Mike, and before that hired Mike McCoy as offensive coordinator, who was fired in midseason the year before in Denver. Um, you know, so I mean, this you have to look at the the hand that Wilkes was dealt in that scenario. I don't, you know, Wilkes is a defensive specialist. You know, it doesn't mean he doesn't know anything about offense. I mean, the way he fired up the Panthers offense this year was awesome, but in, under those circumstances, and let's not forget that the offensive line was like, you know, a makeshift never had the same five starters in any game all year. It was like unbelievable. It was like this past year. Only worse, you know, and so, um, but you know, it's really fascinating too. Let me slip this in here because, you know, this the two years the last two coaches have been fired, Wilkes and Kingsbury. Two, two amazing coincidences, or not so amazing if you want to look at it. One is the GM is AWOL at times um, for the five weeks Kime was out with for all of training camp. Now let's not forget that Kime still had um, control of the Cardinals roster. They weren't giving that up to Wilkes. So, and he's not even there to see the daily doings, you know? And I think that's part of the response that we haven't talked about is the way that they treated Josh Rosen on the way out and, and pinning him onto Wilkes. I mean, we've never seen a situation where a team's given up on a quarterback that fast and granted right. Rosen wasn't the long-term option, but it was inextricably lick, uh, connected to Steve Wilkes and also to, to Byron Leftwich, which also had hurt his reputation. And fortunately he found his way back in Tampa as a coordinator, but Right. I mean, the way that they treated Leftwich and Wilkes and Rosen on the way out and just tossing right. all of them aside plays into the response as well and some of the language around Kingsbury's hiring. Yeah. So, you know, there it was for Wilkes not having time for five weeks. Kingsbury didn't have time for the last half of the season. There's a coincidence there. Also, both years began with star players on six weeks ped violations. How's that for going into a season when your star player is locked up for six weeks? Um, uh, one could say when you have those two things working against you, it's pretty hard to succeed. And that's why I've defended Wilkes. That's why I've defended Kingsbury. I don't, I don't think that they had a fair chance. I mean, if a guy has a fair chance and, you know, um, and he fails, that's a different thing. Um, and um, I think particularly in light of the, the job that Kingsbury did the year before and the way that he had the team trending until J.J. Watt got hurt and the Green Bay game, um, you know, Kyler Murray injury and the, and the missed, you know, missed audible. Uh, I mean, from that point on, things weren't great. But, I mean, they did go on to win 11 games. I thought it was awesome that Colt McCoy won two huge NFC West games on the road after Kyler got hurt, that showed me a lot about Kingsbury and his offense. Um, I think they were a lot winning eight games on the road, which is a franchise record. 
um, you know, being the only the second team in, in Arizona history in Cardinals history to win 11 games. I mean, those are things not to sneeze at, you know, or, or scoff at. I mean, those were accomplishments. But when you're handicapped like this by the dysfunction in the organization, vis-a-vis the GM and the owner and the volatility in the building um, in, you know, among, from the front office, and you have star players that are not there for six weeks. Six weeks is a long time. I mean, Brady was out for four weeks and they, the Patriots managed, but I mean, six weeks is a lot. And also for coming back and being able to fit right back in. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, getting back to Scott's point was that, you know, if you're going to blame Wilkes for that season, you're doing, this is how I reacted to him. I just said this, look, I said this, that is, you know, thinking that Wilkes, this was Wilkes' failure is precisely what Bidwell wanted you and fans to think, that the team's failures were on Steve Wilkes. But look at the hand Wilkes was dealt. But today we know finally why Bidwell didn't fire McDonough and Kime. They had the goods on Bidwell big time. And, you know, I'm just wondering, here's the thing about that is that I'm wondering if, well, first of all, I mean, from that point on, Will McDonough, who back then, by the way, was still a legitimate GM candidate around the league, and then suddenly was like nowhere to be found, not only around the Cardinals building, but nowhere to be found in, in other GM interviews. I mean, he, he interviewed for the um, Niners uh, job, GM job when John Lynch got it, but he was a, he was a candidate there. I mean, you know, there, there was, you know, and, and Terry McDonough had a good, good stint with the Ravens. So he had the background of being in that front office and, you know, there was a lot going for him. And of course, Todd Light defected from that front office and look what he's done. They've, the, the Bay's, the, the Rays have won a Tampa Bay um, Bucks have won a ring. Um, under his tenure. I mean, you know, I've been to the playoffs. So vastly different stuff, but, but there's the thing is that, uh, you know, if you have the goods on Bidwell now, how does that shake out? And first of all, I thought came to mind that I imagine that with Kime leaving the building and going on rehab um, on medical absence, uh, there was some sort of an agreement made, had to be, uh, between Bidwell and Kime. And I wonder if that agreement, a sort of severage package, whatever Kime got from Bidwell um, to sever the, the relationship, there was an NDA um, associated with it. Um, you know what an NDA is, Kyle? Yeah, of course, a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I imagine that Kime was willing to sign it to get the whatever you know um, financial severance severance package um, he would get because he could have been fired for cause if his you know um, 
you know, if, if, if this was a continuation of his drinking problems, um, for one and, or whatever it was, it might've, might've qualified. Um, and then of course, you know, you have the Sean Kugler situation, which is the other, um, arbitration grievance that the Cardinals are up against. Um, and that's, you know, that's bizarre. That whole thing is bizarre to begin with, but, you know, getting back to this, um, you know, we know now why McDonough wasn't fired. I mean, I think that if, but the question is, did Bidwell want McDonough to sign an NDA um, as well? Knowing what McDonough would, and maybe McDonough refused all that time, or maybe he did, but now he's just so fed up, you know, and feeling like he was betrayed because Bidwell fired him. An NDA usually involves a quid pro quo, right? I mean, it's like, well, I'll continue to keep you on the payroll. I'll give you a sinecure of, of a job, which is a high-paying nothing job, um, not to not have to do too much. If, if, you know, you don't say anything about the kind of stuff that's been going on around here, particularly the burner phones or whatever. I mean, we noticed now, just noticed, yesterday that McDonough's name is finally off the list of execs. So this firing came probably, you know, over the last couple of weeks. And that's probably why Bidwell already had, like Kyle said, a 21 page rebuttal ready and at, anticipating that McDonough was going to, you know, um, going to, going to talk and, and go to this extent and file a grievance. So Kyle, give us the highlights of the, of Bidwell's um, response to the arbitration suit. Well, the beginning is the defensive part. Certainly talking about reluctant being a reluctantly obliged to provide a public response along with broader context for some disappointing and irresponsible action by Terry McDonough claims. He has made an arbitration filing are widely false, reckless, and an opportunistic play for financial gain. Here is the view of the matter. They list three paragraphs talking about uh, how they responded in a timely manner. Uh, then they they add about seven bullet points talking about the particulars of the claim that he brought up. And then they talk about a passing interaction that has been horrendously distorted where the Bidwell's uh, apparently, uh, Michael Bidwell had some sort of racial animus towards uh, an employee, and that's the one incident they're holding up and saying that it was a problem when clearly some of the stuff in the lawsuit or not the lawsuit in the grievance filed by McDonough details a repetitive pattern of behavior from the Bidwells. Uh, they then dive into the employee survey, which for those who didn't see the full report by McDonough, the employee survey part was talking yeah. about how people in the organization were told, you know, how can we improve your experience in the Cardinals workplace? And they talked about how they were intimidated by Bidwell and, and hit the personal interactions they'd had with him where he was aggressive and bullying. And it's reported that Bidwell intercepted the results of this survey and then shut down the the results. There's a rebuttal to that in there. 
There's a rebuttal to him yelling at two pregnant women and berating them until they cried. Uh, there's other rebuttals in there. And then uh, the last few paragraphs are uh, more of a, or I shouldn't say paragraphs, the last six or seven bullet points, which include multiple paragraphs are more of a, a character smear of Terry McDonough and talking about how, oh, this is uh, poor us that we gave him this incredible opportunity and now he wants to turn it against us. And like you mentioned, employees saying, oh, they didn't like interacting with him and stuff like that. It's, it's a defensive response to his accusations in the Schefter story. It is a smear of Terry McDonough and then kind of bit by bit explaining each of the situations in there, which is kind of wild to see. I, I gotta be honest, a 21 paragraph manifesto is really, really a bad response, especially if you're going to list out your legal response against Terry McDonough for his lawyers to see. It's really a really a miscalculation by the Arizona Cardinals. Just it, it beyond embarrassing and making Bidwell look defensive and vindictive, which is what right. he's accused of in the grievance. Right. I mean, beyond that <laughs> beyond the defensive and mis and uh, beyond the defensiveness and beyond the attacking of Terry McDonough, it's just a really poor strategy and does not look well upon your organization to. Not just not only not no comment or give a, a two sentence no comment response to then have a twenty one paragraph long response that filled with uh filled with vindictive patterns and filled with defensiveness is is not the right response there. Yes, it's no no doubt that Bidwell's a lawyer because that's the way lawyers handle things these days. You know, they go into attack mode accuse the accuser of the very things the accuser's accusing you of. You know, it's it's like a playbook now that's gotten very repetitive. People can understand that. Um, you know, the, the, the question now is, will anything be done about it? And how will this, this uh, work out for McDonough and for Bidwell and the parties concerned? And... Uh, uh, Adam Schefter and Ryan Clark debated that issue, um, and Kyle has it queued up. Um, let's take a listen to what they say about this. Well, I think we've seen this before in the NBA, whether it was the Los Angeles Clippers, obviously across town with the Phoenix Suns, and you see that the NBA deals with these things extremely sternly. Marcus mentioned the Washington Commanders and the multiple reports we've heard of misconduct coming out of that building. And the NFL hasn't necessarily dealt with owner Daniel Snyder and that organization in the way we've seen things handled in the NBA. They haven't shown that the people come first. And we know that there's a huge difference between the two sports. The one is player driven uh, and one is fan driven, whereas the NFL is about the owners. The commissioner, Roger Goodell, gets his contract renewed by the owners. And so in judging them and critiquing them and dealing with them, they've been a ton more lax than they are with the players. And now they have an opportunity to investigate this thoroughly, act swiftly, act sternly, and do the right thing by the people in that building. And so we'll see how they move forward with that. 
Great point, RC, and you talk about the differences between the two sports. We've seen the NFL be stern in its discipline with players, and the rules are supposed to be that owners are held to a higher standard of conduct. And the higher you go on the food chain, the more responsible you are, and the more responsibility falls on your shoulders. If McDonough can prove his accusations during this arbitration claim, and if he has the evidence that he insists that he does, then clearly there is going to have to be some action taken. And in the words of the league, owners should be held to the highest standard in this particular case. It is a privilege to own an NFL team. It's not just about how much money you can accumulate because you are a shrewd businessman. You're supposed to represent the shield at the highest level. As Adam says, if he can prove some of these things or all of these things through arbitration, I expect the NFL to deal with this in a stern way, but that has not been the history of the league. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, they make great points. I mean, the it makes you nervous when when, uh, you know, the commissioner of the NFL is so pro-owner. And Michael Bidwell has gone out of his way to placate the NFL front office, like to the extent of, you know, keeping everyone in suspense the whole draft of Kyler Murray to the detriment of his own team. Because uh, I argue this, and a number of people did before the draft, the Cardinals could have gotten much more for Josh Rosen, we believe, um, than they wound up getting. Um, even if it was an earlier day two pick than what they ended up getting, um, and uh, which would have been really good, would have, uh, you know, prevented one of the most, um, you know, unfortunately disappointing draft choices in Cardinal history in Andy Isabella which I don't believe was Isabella's fault. I think he was in a perfect storm of just, you know, um, being in a situation with, you know, uh, the wide receiver room he went into at first thinking it was going to be in 10 personnel and then got changed over. Well, we can get, we know that Isabella thing. And then the, you know, the fallout of the DK Metcalf pick coming after. That, that just is not a good chapter of Cardinals history. And I'm, I'm hoping that Isabella can bounce back from this um, in, in Baltimore. Uh, so, um, but uh, just the same, I mean, you know, to the detriment of his own team and then, the way they handled the Rosen situation after the trade, the way they lied about Josh is our guy. See, these are the covert sort of deceptive tactics that Bidwell uses um, and condones. And um, it's to the detriment always of someone else. Um, and, you know, in life, what your legacy is, is, the Beatles said, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And I think that legacies are, are about relationships. And if, if you look now, ask yourself, who in that building is Bidwell allied with and doesn't have a severed relationship or a, 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 at least a um, contentious relationship with? It's only the new guys he hired.
I mean, there's nobody who's been there a while. I mean, Adrian Wilson left. And yes, he praised the Cardinals and Bidwell. He was smart to do that. You don't burn bridges. That was very smart professionally. It was very professional. Plus, Wilson's in the Hall of Fame. But the way he got bypassed and overlooked, even for the assistant GM, um, unbelievable. And then Quentin Harris. Can't imagine Quentin Harris's morale going into work every day. It's very good these days, you know. And Vance Joseph landed on his feet in Denver. That was miraculous. But imagine if he didn't, how he'd be feeling right now. Um, you know, who's left in that building? I mean, how's his relationship with Kyler? <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine that Kyler is feeling all too keen about his relationship with Bidwell. Although I can imagine Kyler's optimistic about the way things are going now that Steve Kime is not the GM and maybe there'll be, you know, a, a nice refreshing change in how the Cardinals do their business. And I think this off season, they've been real digital diligent and sticking to a very coherent plan wherein they're engaging, um, you know, free agents and bringing them in. Um, you know, I would, back in the beginning, I was, fearful that no one would want to sign with the Cardinals, particularly at, at you know, um, team-friendly salaries. But they're doing a heck of a job of c communicating with these free agents and getting them fired up and giving them specific roles. And I think they're doing a really f fabulous job. And the more Michael Bidwell just stays out of it and gives, uh, you know, gives them everything they need, um, it's a better scenario for everyone um and uh but that's that makes me nervous too uh because you know bidwell's known for not giving coaches everything they need case in point was imagine cliff knowing he was being you know um you know there was a cabal basically to try to get his job um take away his job with with uh Sean Kugler vying for it with Vance Joseph vying for it. And then they, you know, Kugler was being insubordinate. Cliff goes to um, Bidwell. And, you know, I think that whole Fowler Weinfuss report was the end for, for Cliff. The way that leaked out and looked poorly, it reflected poorly on Bidwell. I mean, you have a guy who's being, you know, um, insubordinate and the head coach is crying out for help. Please, please, you know, let him go. And Bidwell refuses because he doesn't want to eat his contract. And then a couple weeks later, it happens anyway. And then Bidwell's eager to fire him right away because he can do it for just cause and won't have to pay. I mean, all these kind of things, you know, Bidwell will say out loud to you, like with Sean Payton, it's not about the money. <laughs> And yet, you know, here's another thing. Was the Cardinals in mid, you know, after four games with a chance to to build on a couple wins they had, had a kicking situation with Matt Prater being injured, and they went and hired a kicker who was the least expensive, you know, to save money. And look at what happened then. I mean... It's just unbelievable how these things stack up. And then we, we're, we're told one thing. This is the two-faced thing about Bidwell. 
is we're told one thing and then we see another. You know, how, every time there's a Cardinal popular free agent, oh, we'd love to re-sign Pat P. Oh, we love Pat. We still think he's an elite corner. I'm going to leave that up to Steve. And then, you know, as Pat P cried out again this year, every chance he's got was that I still haven't heard from Steve Kime. You know, Pat P was hoping to get that phone call. I mean, you don't do that to people. I mean, it's did the same thing with Chandler Jones. Oh, we love Chandler. Oh, oh, I, you know, we'd love to have Chandler back. You know, this is on his, his radio appearances, Bidwell. I'm going to leave that up to Steve to get that done. And then two seconds later on Twitter, Chandler Jones writes, LOL. Because <laughs> they know, I mean, they know that that how often Bidwell's just utter bullshit. And in the Fowler report, you know, Fowler reported that Cliff was tired of the BS. And you know what? Who could blame him? I mean, that kind of dysfunction and the, the volatility and the, the divisiveness, you know, the split allegiances. You know, anytime you're dealing with someone who's two-faced, you don't, all of us, you know, we know that, you know, with people who are in your life where it's two-faced, you don't know which guy you're getting. Is it Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde? And, you know, and it's, it, that's what leads to lack of communication, but most of all, a lack of trust. And, you know, who in the building can trust Bill or does Bill will trust and who trusts him? I mean, he's gotten rid of people he necessarily wouldn't trust with McDonough. And I bet he's got an NDA going with Kime. Otherwise, we'd hear from Kime. Um, would chime in. And the biggest thing of all I think could come out of this would be if B.A. finally admitted that he was squeezed out in Arizona by Bidwell, which I contended all along. It just seems so obvious to me. I think that here's what happened, just to reiterate, I've been saying all along that, you know, with B.A. having the health issues, Bidwell was rightfully scared of that and then was prepared to move on in 2016. And um, because he interviewed Sean McVay, was the first to get to McVay, imagine what that would have been like. But BA miraculously recovered from a cancer scare and said he wanted the job, he's still under contract. And so a quid pro quo was agreed to at that point where, all right, we'll keep you on for one more year, but you know, um, after this year, that's it. Because we, we, you know, what for whatever agreement that was, and I think it played out that way. I mean, the only way it would have played out differently is if BA would had taken that team to the playoffs. Um, and you know, they were unfortunately five and eight after thirteen games. Um. <clears throat> And won their last three games, but by then it was too little, too late. Um, and you know, I mean, and the, the the organization was in utter disarray. I mean, Carson Palmer's career ended in in London with the broken elbow, broken arm, 
by the Rams and then Stanton got injured. I mean, he was out for the year. I mean, it was just, you know, um, tough situation for everybody. And I think that, you know, um, and if you look at BA's tearful goodbye and everything, it just looked and his speech after the Seahawk game where they won in week 16 or the last game up in Seattle to the team and everything. It just was pretty clear that at least to me that BA wasn't retiring on his own volition, put it that way. And maybe as part of his severage package, um, an NDA was asked of BA not to um, divulge that either. So I think this is the could be the tip of the iceberg. I think there are probably numerous things that could be corroborated. I bet you Adrian Wilson has a few stories to tell being privy to a lot of this in the building. I bet you, Steve, you know, that the Cliff Kingsbury has. I wonder if Kingsbury was forced to sign an NDA to get his salary. Um, that's what lawyers do, you know, um, and Bidwell's been behaving like a lawyer in these manners. So, and will he be, you know, what's going to happen with him with Roger Goodell? Um, you know, like, like Ryan Clark and Adam Schefter said so eloquently and accurately is that, you know, Goodell's for the owners. So, you know, um, the chances of him coming down hard on Bidwell probably aren't all that great and which is not of help to us because this could be really um, one of the best things that ever happened to the Cardinals if we can somehow wrest this organization away from the hands of Michael Bidwell um, and or have him sell the team or have somebody else run the team and step out um, because he's just not getting it done. There's too much dysfunction um, and he can't maintain anything, can't maintain relationships. I mean, look at all the veterans that leave here disgusted. I mean, can't even get, you know, amicable goodbye. Some in other organizations, veterans know when it's time to move and they respect the organization. Look at Calais Campbell. He's got nothing but respect for the Ravens. He moved on and signed with the Falcons. People were saying, oh, get Calais back here. You know, why in the world would Calais Campbell come back? I bet Calais, Calais Campbell has some juicy stories to tell. You know, Pat P probably. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald even. Um, and the whole mystery of Fitzgerald just leaving the building without, you know, people make say that's fine that's what he said he'd always do but that's just so bizarre but I, I think there are aspects to this that are understandable because it's just when you're in an environment that's toxic and dysfunctional like this that comes from the top it's pretty tough to maintain a morale and and a good feeling about not only yourself in this amidst this chaos and dysfunction, but you know, the, the future present and future of the organization. So the good news is I think we've got a GM and head coach and an alignment going on here that could, if we give, give them the right sort of patience and support, 
um, could be a godsend. I mean, they want to be here and they want to do well. So, um, and they're unified in their approach. And I think it's really, really awesome. The big thing now, but what this can shed light on is how um, things have to change in the front office and the sooner the better. And if it entails a change in the ownership or change in the running of the, of the organization, then so be it. Um, that could be a godsend for the Cardinals. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm glad that, that Terry McDonough had the cojones to put this forward. I'm very grateful to him because it confirms the suspicions that I and a number of Cardinal fans have had all along. I mean, if you look at these flight plan, um, you know, you can see the propaganda of that. It's all about promoting himself, Bidwell. I mean, look at the look at the one following the you know the uh, the first one of this season. It had cameras following him. This big cheese of running a Super Bowl and being a GM and doing all this stuff. It had cam and going to parties and everything. Can't, had cameras following him everywhere. And a day in the life of Michael Bidwell, and you know, being the pilot and everything. You know, I, I'm sorry, but um, you know, I mean, and I think there are there redeemable aspects about Michael Bidwell. I think he knows right from wrong, which makes his errors in judgment all the more disturbing i mean you know and and his decision making even more disturbing um it's you know it's, he's he's volatile obviously and you know um but it's hard to feel sympathetic for him in this situation because these are situations he brought on himself and it's been clear for you i mean if you you peel back the curtain um and look at what what he is not only in front of the cameras, but, you know, shaking hands on deals and saying to players, you know, I hope this is the first of many, which is such the utter irony because the Cardinals don't re-sign virtually any of their draft picks. So that hope this is the first of many is just a BS. Um, look at what happened this year. We lost Zach Allen. We lost Byron Murphy. Bye-bye, boys. Um, you know, and we just don't got assign people to second contracts. I mean, DJ Humphreys is the only one I can think of signed to a multi-year deal after his first contract ran out. The others were signed after being ripped, you know, the rookie contracts after three years, which the team didn't have to do and got burned on on several occasions. So... You know, I mean, look at that track record in the organization. and But here he is on flight plans with all smiles and, you know, and, you know, he can, he can pull that one off. He's got, you know, some charm and charisma, but, you know, but if behind the scenes, the kind of stuff that's been going on that many of us have suspected is the case, is the reality you know, these flight plans just show aside the ones the, the one face of Bidwell that seems like he's a heck of a good guy and 
great guy to work for. But then on the flip side, um, the way he double crosses himself and the way that, you know, virtually anything, everything in his life, I don't know what it is with him. You know, he's just relationships, relationships are NFL, not for long. I mean, severed ties with just virtually everyone now. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to him. And I hope he comes to some sort of a, an epiphany and a, a, a self, you know, um, revelation of some sorts. But, you know, and this has been a tough year for him. I think the finances are worse than people think. I mean, I've been sensing that all along. Him saying, oh, you know, money was not an issue with Sean Payton. I think it's just a flat out lie. I mean, he sold his house. Um you know, I, something's got to go on. But when you treat people the way that he's treated people, and we've seen that, you know, that's why, you know, when he handled the Wilkes situation the way he did, I thought it was despicable what he did to Wilkes. And I said so then, and I'm saying it now. And I'm so glad that Terry McDonough had the guts to stand up to this and stand up to the bully. And, you know, with Bidwell, it's all these quid pro quos and, you know, and, and, and conditions. Um, and it's got to stop. It, it, you know, you can't run a football team like you're in a law office, you know, running deception or, or you know, standing up for lies and, you know, arguing, um, knowing it's, it's you're defending a lie. Um, can't hold up because these are real human relationships. And if you don't come out of those relationships um, with mutual respect and appreciation, then something's the matter because there are ways of doing this. It happens in other organizations. I mean, who has a crossword for John Harbaugh? I don't think anyone. You know, he's a real deal. He's a communicator. You know, there are coaches out there that, you know, even Belichick. I mean, players say he's tough to play for. He's highly demanding. But they love the fact of how well prepared he gets them. You know, and so the respect is there and the appreciation. And they seem to understand when the team moves on from him. Um, <clears throat> And, you know, whatever communication is going on, it doesn't have players like, you know, I mean, when Shaq Mason was traded, he didn't issue a parting shot to the Patriots. Um, you know, he went down willingly to Tampa Bay to take the next step in his, his journey. Was he happy about it? I don't know. But, but he's not trashing the Patriots on the way out. And that's the important thing. Um, with ownership. You need that. You want that. Now, you're not going to keep everyone happy, but you can at least treat them with the respect they deserve by being honest and upfront and highly communicative in a way in which players would appreciate. And oftentimes... You hear, you hear a lot about that with the Steelers, too. Steeler, I'll throw them in the mix, too. Steelers get a lot of good publicity for even if it goes bad, they'll still be honest with you and direct with Tomlin and the Roonies. Yeah, that's how you treat people. I mean, and, you know, you, you embrace them. And, 
you work with them. Now that doesn't mean you don't coach them hard or anything, but great players will appreciate that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the pattern of how people are treated in that building. And I think that the NFLPA report, which poorly reflected on the Cardinals working conditions are symbolic of Bidwell. Like on the one hand, we have a team jet. On the other hand, we have, um, you know, run down facilities, weight rooms, locker rooms, you know, two face. I look at, you know, the greatest symbolism is the stadium. It's two faces, Cardinal fans and opponents. Well, sometimes 50, 50. I mean, so if you're going to be two faced, this is what you're going to get is a two faced reaction from, from people. And, and a, a symbolism that, you know, I mean, I'm hoping that Cardinal fans boycott and push back against these raised ticket prices. Cardinal fans should not have to pay for the gaffes of their owner. They shouldn't have to, especially after enduring this, this you know, streak of, of losses at home. I mean, you know, and, and Bidwell just wants the fans to, to to pick up the tab. It's not fair. And, you know, he might argue, well, I gave you what you wanted with Kyler. I gave you what you wanted by firing Cliff. I told you it had to be done. You know, well, how's that looking? You know, the way you did it is not acceptable it's one thing to do it but it's the way you do it that matters and you know with kyler so much of that could have just been so alleviated once the contract was done why not go full tilt boogie into the season on momentum finally this is solved except no within a matter of a couple of days the shit hits the fan again with this poison pill of a homework clause I mean, that's one of the most absurd decisions and irresponsible decisions I think I've ever seen um, from an NFL owner to allow that to happen. I mean, it's so contradictory of what you just did. If you're extending a guy for five years and making the second highest paid player in NFL history, <laughs> you don't put that kind of rhetoric and condition into a contract. You just don't. You either don't give the contract or you give it and give it freely and move on and create a buzz finally instead of a bummer. And these bummers, back-to-back -back bummers. Well, this one from McDonough is, I think could be lead to really good things for the Cardinals. And because it's about time, and some of us have been wary, very wary of Bidwell for quite some time. It's about time we got, you know, um, the right kind of leadership from the top. And if this can aid and abet that from happening, then this could be actually be the best thing that could, ha could have happened to the Cardinals this offseason and, and for present and beyond. So from your standpoint, I know, I know, and I want to leave on one, one last um, no, was it, you know, I, I don't know. I hope that Roger Goodell 
listens carefully to what these charges are and acts appropriately. Yeah, I'm worried it's going to cost the Cardinals draft picks again for, you know, and I don't like that part of it. Um, you know, so his team's going to suffer for that, for his actions, if that's the case. Probably a substantial fine. But here's the one thing I mean, we haven't heard yet is why McDonough says these chart, you know, the charges that could come out, the instances of abuse and, and um, workplace, um, you know, uh, violations on Bidwell are worse than the Sarver case. Whoa. I mean, so there's a lot more to this that has not gone public, obviously. And, you know, when it does, I mean, or when it's presented, hopefully Roger Goodell will do the right thing um, for the people who've been abused in this situation and harassed and, you know, humiliated um, and forced into sort of a hostage situation like well, like Terry McDonough was. So anyway, um, you know, and I would say that McDonough certainly, you know, he's, he's a passionate guy and I'm sure he had a couple of rows with, uh, with people in the building. But in a go, you want people to, you know, um, challenge you. But I don't think Terry McDonough is a malevolent type whose just main goal is to try to, you know, um, humiliate people. I don't see him as that. Um, I see him as a passionate guy who's, you know, who's trying to become a GM one day. But we'll see. So um, the, the gist is, is that We'll see. It's going to take time, and this is going to be hanging over the heads of the organization. Um, you know, the Hopkins situation is going to be hanging over the heads. I hope they can deal with that sooner rather than later. I hope they can get it some sort of a trade during the draft or before the draft, because that's. I mean, the last thing we want is this hanging over the new coaching staff the way the Murray situation was hanging over everyone last year. I mean, this is no way to go into a new season. I mean, sure. I mean, Gannon has said the right things about wanting to coach Hopkins. Hopkins wants nothing to do with playing here. Um, the guaranteed money's gone. So he's gone. He, and, and plus, you know, Kyler's return is uncertain. We don't even know if he and Kyler still have a decent relationship or not following what happened last year, but he's not coming back um, to play for the Cardinals. It's just not happening. I mean, the only way it was to be do kind of to do what they did with Kyler is to bribe him back, you know, with like 40 to 50 million guaranteed that might do it. But then even then, if you had one foot out to begin with, you know, and, and in light of the fact he's only played in 20 of the last 35 games and he quit on the team in the last two weeks, um, that doesn't fit the Gannon uh, team-building philosophy too well. So I can't imagine that being a fit. And I can't imagine any scenario where Hopkins would be raring to go and fired up for playing for Arizona. Um, and he would be with some other teams, and hopefully we can make a move there. Um, because now we've got to, 
let this new staff and let this GM hunker down and get the makings of a good team together to go out and compete in year one of this new regime. And, you know, I, I think they're adding some really quality pieces. And with this draft, I'm writing up a thing right now where I think the Cardinals could recover their past draft mistakes and trade mistakes in, in this one entire draft um, at the positions where they lost out. So if you want to hit Revenge of the Birds and see that today, I'm going to be posting that today. I'm almost finished with it, actually. And um, Kyle, what do you, as an outsider, what are your thoughts about this situation and how do you think it's going to be handled? Well, how it's going to be handled is up in the air because they're going to fake NFL court and fake NFL court has weird rules and weird standards for how they go through the arbitration. I think the evidence being made public will help in the account, the, the accountability of shame that will come from it because at at worst, if you can't actually get a punishment that leads to change within the Cardinals organization, you'll have the shame of this being out there and the reputational hits that the Bidwell family and Michael Bidwell specifically will take from it. It's a situation where it corroborates some of the things you've been talking about with the two faces of Bidwell. The NFLPA report cards rank them as only worse. The only team worse than them has multiple branches of government investigating them. Yeah. So yeah, it corroborates that uh, people didn't have faith in the Bidwells before when it came to the financials of running a team and spending what was necessary to upgrade the organization. When you also have details of the organization having fear culture around the leader of the organization when you have cases of harassment bullying racial discrimination gender-based bullying and harassment um, when you have those details out there that as mcdonough says can be corroborated with evidence uh, he in addition to the burner phone it said that he has other documentation that he kept from his time with the cardinals that should help their case in fake nfl court so I will, uh, I'll, I, in terms of what happens, I think the evidence coming forward will give us a better idea. Um, just off the top of my head, a similar lawsuit with Brian Flores and the details that came from that investigation led to obviously docking draft picks for the Dolphins, fines right. to Stephen Ross, a, a six week suspension at the start right. of this season. So, Perhaps something like that may be on the horizon for, for Bidwell, but it's right. just it's too early to know what the, the ramifications of that are because we don't know exactly what evidence uh, Terry McDonough is going to present in, in fake NFL court. Right. Well said, my man. Um, well, if Bidwell does get a six-week suspension, they better check the uh, burner phone um, sales <laughs> in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, they, they mentioned the they mentioned Sarver, and obviously his one year suspension made it so that there was no coming back from that. And right. clearly, Stephen Ross has been able to come back from his six week suspension. So right. maybe somewhere in the middle. Uh, I don't know the details or evidence that's going to be presented. And I keep calling it fake NFL court because I don't really know what else to call it. But 
you know, I don't know what evidence is going to be brought forward, but if it ends up being somewhere in between, what does the the shame and reputational hit lead to in terms of restructuring of the Cardinals organization? Or even if the Bidwells still own the team, maybe someone else becomes the lead uh, day-to-day operations person. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I'll leave you with this quote. Reminded me of the quote, um, infamous quote from the great Gatsby. I tweeted it out and um, quote, they were careless people, Michael and Steve. They smashed up things and creatures and then retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. End quote. And that's the way it feels, is that the carelessness of this and the destructiveness of this is tangible. And um, and it's got to change. And we all know something like this. It takes something like this at times for something to change. Hopefully, this is a tough situation turned into a boon for the Cardinals if... Uh, get to the source of what the dysfunction is and 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 root it out um, or patch it up to where we turn dysfunction into functional functional behavior and then turn it into winning behavior so um, thank you Kyle as always great job and uh, to all of you uh, who support who support this, podcast thanks so much again um uh the numbers have been great and i really appreciate it and we'll try to keep it coming for you um i'll see you on twitter been enjoying my conversations there with uh, my texts back and forth with people thank you all for engaging with me there and at revengeofthebirds.com check the latest articles uh they're worthy of your time and intention but until the next time may the red rain shower down on you into our red red sea red rain